Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Episode 82, recorded Monday, April 18th, 2022. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Well, hello again, everyone, and I want to thank you for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cinturpino. Now, this episode is coming to you a week late. I've been under the weather with COVID. It was a bit of a shock. I'm fully vaxxed and boosted. Haven't really been out and about in big crowds or anything, so I thought I was being pretty careful, but it jumped up and got me, and it was a little rough for a few days. But I'm now fully recovered and plan on getting my second booster shot soon. It's hard to figure out just where all this ends up. But we're off and running here at Scuba Shack with our 2022 dive season, and that we've branded it Come Dive With Us. Our first dives of the year were really blown out in mid-March, but the last two weekends they made it out to, uh, to do some diving. Our crew hit Du Bois Beach in Stonington Point, and then they were at Bigelow Hollow State Park up in Union, Connecticut for a dive in Mashapog Pond. We billed that one as our freshwater no-rinse dive. Sorry I missed that one. On today's show, I want to go back in history a bit to 1977, where we'll take a look at the first edition of NOAA's The Complete Underwater Diving Manual. But first up, is a belated wet notes, our news and information update here on Scuba Shack Radio. This is wet notes here on Scuba Shack Radio from Monday, April 18th, 2022. First up today, I want to relay some news coming out of DEMA. That's the Dive Equipment and Marketing Association. Now, a couple of weeks ago, all of us DEMA members received a survey request, and that was on whether the DEMA show should be open to consumers or stay exclusive to dive professionals. Now, Tech Clark also devoted a whole episode on his Dive Locker podcast to this question. Now, he laid out the pros and cons very nicely. As a small dive shop owner here, I personally feel that opening up the show to anyone would be rough. Now, also during the annual DEMA meeting, Tom Ingram laid out what he thought were the pros and cons of such a move. It will be interesting to see how the rank-and-file members respond. Right now, I'm not for opening up the show to consumers. I feel like as dive professionals, we need to have this time to interact with the vendors network with the exhibitors, and attend some other great seminars. Now, I came across a program a few days ago called the Green Fins Dive Guide e-course, and this course has been uh, developed for dive professionals. The course was originally created by Reef World Foundations 
in 2019, and it was done in conjunction with the Professional Scuba Schools International. Reef World's goals are to inspire and empower people to act conservatively, particularly with respect to coral reefs. The course is free, it's self-paced, and can normally be completed in about a half a day. The program is delivered in three modules, coral and green fins, above water, and below water. So far, there have been over 1,800 dive professionals enrolled. They claim that this is the only environmentally accredited course for dive professionals. Greenfin's mission is to protect coral reefs through sustainable tourism. Now, while the course is free, you do have the option of getting a personalized certificate for $25, which goes towards supporting Greenfin goals. You can check it out at greenfins.net. Now, a week or so ago, I came across an article from the Washington Post about a, a NOAA announcement, and that was that they found a wreck of a 19th century whaling ship in the Gulf of Mexico, of all places. The article was written by Michael E. Ruan. Turns out, NOAA identified this wreck as the industry, and that was a brig that was built in 1815 in Westport, Mass. Now, this 64-foot-long whaler had a 20-year career in whaling before a violent storm in May of 1836 caused the ship to sink. It is the only known whaling ship ever lost in this little-known whaling ground of the Gulf. You never really hear about whaling in that part of the world. Fortunately, the crew survived and was rescued by the brig Elizabeth, also from Westport. Apparently, Noah had surveyed the ship before in 2011 and 2017, but couldn't identify it. The latest survey showed the industry's three anchors, as well as their triworks. Now, it's located 70 miles from the mouth of the Mississippi River. But don't get your hopes up for diving a wreck. It's in 6,000 feet of water. How many folks out there are royal watchers? I got to admit... I'm not. However, I did come across an interesting article in the DailyMail.com out of Britain. The article was titled, Duke and Duchess of the Deep, Kate and William Go Swimming with Sharks. Now, this article was written by Kate Weston and describes how Princess William and Princess Kate went scuba diving while they were on their trip to Belize. I didn't even know they were scuba divers. It was not part of their official tour, but happened at the end of their visit. The government of Belize invited them to view their conservation efforts by going diving. The royal couple went diving on Southwater Cay, and the sharks they were diving with were nurse sharks. You can find a video of their dive out there. They looked to be outfitted in Cressy gear. Now, what do you think? Did they rent or own? Also, someone should have told the Duchess to secure her octo. Anyway, could you imagine being a dive instructor and someone comes up to you and says, I got two new students for you. Nice couple. They just happen to be the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Okay. 
Earth Day 2022 is coming soon. It's actually this Friday, April 22nd. DEMA has issued a challenge to all divers. They want divers to share their photos or videos of their favorite dive sites on social media. The photos can be either underwater, topside, or both. Now, when you post your media, use the hashtag connection to water. That's connection, the number two, water. Or hashtag go dive now. They are hoping that you'll do this on April 22nd. The idea is that this will connect divers all over the world. If you want, you can include the general location, like country, province, or state, and that'll form a broader connection. Earth Day 2022 celebrates the 52nd anniversary of Earth Day, and this year's theme is Invest in Our Planet, What Will You Do? One thing that seems pretty easy is to share your photo or video for all to see. And finally, let's end on some more good news. This time it's about humpback whales. The humpbacks were one of the first species to be federally protected under the Endangered Species Act and the Marine Mammal Protection Act of 1970. Now, they were almost completely wiped out by commercial whaling in the 19th and early 20th century. At one point, they were down to about 10,000. But due to the great global conservation efforts, they are now estimating that the humpback whale's global population is around 80,000. These whales were removed from the endangered species list in 2016. They're still considered threatened, however, and we need to keep up our conservation efforts, especially with respect to entanglement, ship strikes, and noise pollution. Over the years, I was fortunate to see a lot of these whales when we were visiting Maui. They are incredible. Let's keep that number moving in the right direction. Well, that's it for this edition of Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that about every third show, I try to do something related to our history of scuba diving. Now, as I was looking for a topic for the show this week, I began to poke around the bookshelf in my office at the shop. And I came across the first edition of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's, or NOAA's, The Complete Underwater Diving Manual, and thought I'd like to talk a little bit about this historic publication. The year was 1977. I was graduating from the Naval Academy that year and headed off to the Pacific Fleet. Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind were the big movie hits that year. And the number one Billboard Billboard song in 1977 was Rod Stewart's Tonight's the Night. And Scuba Shack opened its doors in Rocky Hill, Connecticut. Hard to believe that 45 years has passed. Noah also produced their first edition of the Complete Underwater Diving Manual. This first edition was published by the U.S. Department of Commerce, and according to Howard Pollock, the deputy administrator for NOAA at the time, the book was produced to give NOAA divers the necessary fundamentals for safe and efficient diving. I guess up until this time, 
They were using the Navy's diving manual. Now, in the preface by James Miller, who is the Deputy Director for Manned Undersea Science and Technology, he indicates that the book relied heavily on experts to create the manual. He also made sure to mention that the experts did not get paid. Some of those experts included Sylvia Earle, Christian Lamberton, <laughs> Tom Mount, Dick Rutkowski, and Robert Workman, to name a few. Pretty impressive. Oh, and by the way, you might recognize James Miller. He was the founder of the Tektype missions in 1969 and 1970. The book is pretty massive and consists of 17 sections along with four appendices. The first two sections of the book cover the physics of diving and diving physiology. In the physics of diving, the manual looks at the five gas laws that are pertinent to diving. As a reminder, those gas laws include Dalton's Law, Charles' Law, Boyle's Law, Henry's Law, and the General Gas Law, which is a combination of Boyle and Charles's Law. If you want to learn how to defog a mask, the book describes using saliva, liquid soap, or a commercial antifog. The first section concludes with a discussion of light and acoustics underwater, with a subsection devoted to underwater explosions, along with a calculation estimating the pressure on a diver resulting from an explosion of TNT. Pretty sure we'll never see that kind of information in a recreational open water diver course. The diving physiology section covers all the requisite information on how diving affects our body. There's a very good explanation along with some charts related to carbon dioxide. We just can't emphasize enough about how dangerous this gas can become as we overwork underwater. Section three of the 1977 Complete Underwater Diving Manual outlines the training requirements with a reference to one of the appendices. I thought I'd take a minute to talk about some of those requirements, as it's interesting to see how things have evolved over the years. Let's look at their swimming requirements first. The manual indicates that a student diver must be able to swim 300 yards using any combination of crawl, side stroke, or backstroke. There's no mention of the breaststroke. The candidate also needed to be able to swim underwater for at least 50 feet. And finally, they must be able to stay afloat for 30 minutes. These are quite a bit different than our current recreational standards we use today. As for training, it looks like the basic open water diver needed to have 10 hours of classroom instruction along with 15 hours of in-water training. They outline the topics for in-water training and include skills in drown proofing, equipment, buoyancy, CESA, entries and exits, buddy breathing, underwater navigation, and several more areas. Following the in-water training, the divers needed to complete two open water dives in similar conditions and depths that they would be working in. It's interesting, they did not mention repeating the skills in open water. To move on to advanced training, the diver would need to complete 20 hours of classroom instruction along with 20 hours of open water instruction. In this description, 
It looks like this is when the snorkeling and scuba skills get reviewed in open water. The advanced training had to consist of at least 10 dives that covered a multitude of platforms and underwater conditions. So you can see, things were a lot different back then. Section 4 of the manual covers diving equipment, and then Section 5 talks about the breathing media, compressed gas. Now, Section 6 is pretty interesting. It is general diving procedures. It covers developing a mission and objectives, how to organize the team, how to select gear, and then discusses all the various skills involved, including hand signals and line communication. This section closes out with a discussion on flying after diving. Back then, the rule was that the diver needed to be classified as a Group D diver from the Navy's repetitive diving tables before they could fly. That's a far cry from today's rule of 12 to 18 hours. Back then, it was far less restrictive. Now, I'm not going to talk about all the other sections, but suffice it to say, the manual is very extensive with a discussion on decompression, first aid, hazardous marine life, and more. Over the years, the manual has changed to become the NOAA Diving Manual. It is currently in its sixth edition, and that was released on July 31, 2017. By the fourth edition, it looks like the publisher shifted from the U.S. Commerce Department to Best Publishing. Now, if you want to get your hands on one of those first edition manuals, you can scout around the Internet, and I've seen them for as low as about $10 on eBay. The current sixth edition is not cheap, however. They're running about $100. Well, that's a look back at a little bit more of our scuba diving history the first edition of NOAA's The Complete Underwater Diving Manual from 1977. It's always fun to take a look back at these old publications related to scuba diving. Interesting to see how much is the same, but yet, at the same time, how much has evolved. The physics and physiology hasn't changed, but we've certainly come to have a better understanding of the environment that we're going into. Well, that's it for this belated episode of Scuba Shack Radio. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time. <laughs>